to Next to Ned. I'm Joe. And I'm Julie. Julie, would you like to talk to us about our guest today? Uh, yes, we would like to welcome today David Dye. And we appreciate you coming into the studio and talking with us today. David Dye has recently been named the Mobile County Secondary Teacher of the Year. Wow. Uh, which is a pretty big deal. That is a big deal. And uh, an even bigger deal is that he is in the final 16 for the state of Alabama for the Alabama Teacher of the Year. And we learned with talking with uh, Chastity Collier that mm-hmm. that means the Sweet 16, right? And that's an even bigger deal. Right, the Sweet 16. And, and I'm sure he's going to tell us a little bit about that today and uh, give us a little background. And we're just happy to have him in the studio today. Yeah, thanks for joining us today, David. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate being on. Wonderful. If you don't mind, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and what got you into education. And then my understanding is that uh, you you hit this milestone uh, pretty early on in your career. So I'm excited to hear about what led up to, yeah. to this. So why did you get into education? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so uh, my parents are both immigrants from Vietnam. Uh, we, well, I was born in California and then we moved to Alabama when I was six um, and then, you know, after high school, I went off to the University of Alabama and I originally declared as a math and history double major. And my entire intent was to graduate and be a statistician, you know, work with numbers, uh, make money. And that was going to be it, um, with the primary focus of being able to take care of my family. But then uh, I got to realize that I didn't really want to sit in an office uh, by myself in a cubicle kind of crunching numbers. And so education um, then became the avenue for me to be around people, yet still be around math. And so when I decided to be an educator, I wanted to come back to Battle Battery, give back to my community. And um, yeah, that was really kind of the big focus. Uh, the population down there is really diverse, a lot of uh, Asian-American students. And so there's not really many Asian teachers in the profession. Mm-hmm. Um, so I felt like I could be uh, a role model for those students. And so right, right. that was a really big motivator. Well, and to back it up a little bit, uh, Bala Battery is uh, an area south part of Mobile County. And it's like almost the southernmost tip of, of Alabama, really. Right, right. And so, and it is uh, a high population of Vietnamese Yes, a uh, high population of Vietnamese, but then there's also uh, your Laotian, Cam- uh, mm-hmm. Laotian, Cambodian, um, a Thai. I mean, it's really quite diverse. Being a port city, Mobile itself, and then Bangla Battery kind of being a really seafood dominant industry, mm-hmm. um, it brings in quite a range of people. And so that really motivated me to come back into an area that had that diversity. Um, and then, Joe, kind of speaking to your point, this is my. Well, I just finished my third year of teaching at uh, Alma Bryant High School, uh, where I graduated from. And so, yeah, the accolades have just been kind of surreal. Well, that's, uh, that's very impressive. If you've you. only been teaching for three years. Thank you. Yeah. And so, you know, kind of backtracking earlier uh, this school year, I was nominated for um, the Young Alumni Award at Alabama and was uh, awarded that in October. Oh, at the University of Alabama? Yes, ma'am. Yeah. So I got that roll tide. Roll tide. Um, and then <laughs> and after that's, that, is that the key to teacher of the year? Because chastity, too. I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. But no, um, so I got that award and then I kind of set the tone for the rest of the school year. In November, I was named uh, the Alabama Council of Teacher of Mathematics High School Teacher of the Year. 
the school named me their teacher of the year, which led to the MCPSS secondary award and then the Sweet 16. So. Wow. So what do you think it is about your teaching that has caught so much attention? Right. You know, I think there is a, a thirst or even a hunger for this kind of energy that I bring and then a, a different style. I feel like a lot of teachers um, are... Well, what's your complacent style? Complacent in practice. Yeah. And so my my practice is very research-oriented, uh, research-based. And so with that, there's a lot more engagement uh, for the students. They're collaboratively working in groups, working on tasks that, um, you know, are real world. So I try and bring in a lot of statistics, um, a lot of information that is relevant to them so that when they're engaging with the math, it, it means something more than just how do you factor a quadratic polynomial. Oh, how do you do so, that? No, um, I'm just kidding. I'm so, you know... <laughs> That's that's kind of my approach, and so my kids are always talking to each other. I'm talking to them in small group. It's very little lecture, um, or at least as much as I can, avoiding it. Um, and I think that sets the tone for the environment and the community that we create in the classroom. Um, I like to call it a family, and so we have, Absolutely. like, family meetings, and we do all this kind of stuff in the classroom, and the kids really buy into that uh, pretty early on. And so it's it's a cool relationship where we get to – break down some stereotypes, maybe build relationships with students that you've never had the chance to talk to. And so it's really cool. Well, it sounds very empowering for the students too. And, right. and I would think we've even had those conversations about math, you know, and a lot of kids are thinking, you know, why do I even need to know how to do that? So I think bringing in the statistics is very interesting. I'd be interested to know myself. <laughs> how that could be I'm, I'm curious relevant. too because – Developing that that type of pedagogy is uh, something that a lot of teachers, it takes time to really build that. Was there some specific uh, uh, mentors that you had in college or in high school that kind of guided you to seeing that this is the way that you wanted to teach? Did you experience it as a student or did you see it as a from another professor? Possibly? Right. So my high school experience really didn't expose me to that much and it was Absolutely, my professors at Alabama. So shout out to Dr. Jeremy Zolkowski, Justin Boyle, and, and Jim Gleason. The three of them really served as huge mentors, uh, even now, um, in terms of my pedagogical styles and how I approach, uh, you know, what Julie, what you were saying, and empowering students. Uh, there's something to be said for giving them a voice in the classroom so that they can be heard, so that their ideas can be shared. Um, that especially, means a lot. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. In mathematics, you know, it feels like there there are tiers to, you know, students who have access and students who don't. And so when they feel like they can create the math where they're engaging and it's meaningful and uh, they own it mm-hmm. um, and they're authors of their own stories, it, it's something that's really cool whenever they're like, ah, I got it. And, do, I, and I did it. Do you see that they want to learn more? You know, it, it really does... Uh, bring in some momentum for how much uh, they're wanting to do those types of things. And when I, you know, uh, can't find ideas to do more of that and I have to lecture because I, you know, I'm at a loss for how I could teach this. They're like, man, I wish we would do more project stuff. And I'm like, I know, I know, and we'll get there. And so it's, it's still a balance, you know, three years in, I'm trying to find, you know, what, what that balance is like, how much I can incorporate of this stuff. Um, so I do it as often as I can. And the kids really, thrive they really respond to it yeah. and i guess we did say that he teaches nine nine through 12th grade 
um, at the beginning. I can't remember if we said that before the yeah, before we sure. started recording or not. But um, he teaches high school math and social science. Didn't you say that? No, so I just teach math. Oh, just um, math. Yeah, nine through twelve. Uh, everything from algebra one to okay. uh, algebra two trig. But I thought it was interesting that you brought up when Joe asked you that question that you didn't really have that kind of mentorship in high school, but you did when you went to um, Alabama. So do you feel like you're going back to maybe try to bring that to Absolutely. And so that's, you know, that's a, a goal of mine in order to bring these experiences to uh, the teachers around here. And I think it's just because there's a, a real big trend in teacher education programs and mathematics to really focus more on these type of collaborative community environments in our classrooms. And so, um, you know, it's tough for teachers who've been teaching 10, 15 years to kind of shift their practice when they've never experienced it themselves as a student, nor have they seen it uh, done well in a classroom. And so, you know, little by little, I try and share what I can. Uh, we do book studies um, on some math uh, pedagogy books for practices. And so um, there's really good discussions in those environments. I've led some uh, PD at the state and national level at some conferences. And so it's it's cool. It's, it's uh, exciting for me to kind of share what I know. All right, that's great. And that's two points. One is having the time to provide that PD for other teachers, you know, even like within the job experience, within the high school that you're at, much less sharing it at a conference. You know, that can be difficult for teachers to have that kind of time. And then you and I were talking earlier about how teachers have a hard time shifting and letting go. Absolutely. And sometimes they think uh, it can, when it's coming from the top down, you may feel like this isn't a new way to do it. It's just another thing added on to what I'm already doing. And it's hard sometimes to think, oh, I really don't have to do this thing anymore that I've been doing every year. I could just do that uh, a new way, but there's that uh, that level of acceptance that has to be there because when you're when you're in charge of all those minds and you think, well, I know this is working, so do I let it go to go over here? There's there's a lot of fear there, and I think that you provide a great role model because you can show uh, you could do it this way and it is working, and the students seem to enjoy it. My guess is some of the other teachers around the school here. I wish you taught more like Mr. <laughs> I don't know that they, they say that, but you, you know, know I, I don't know either. At the elementary level, you hear that the yeah. kid because the kids have no filters at all. They'll yeah. say, "Well, why don't why I have Mr. Te- Gaston? Yeah, why can't you teach more like Miss Nightheart? You know, you so, get that, Mr. Gaston." So yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, I think that it's just really important that you provide that type of engagement, and I just think it's interesting that teachers. I think that's the part about you only having three years. That's really impressive, but you didn't have to undo anything. Right, yeah. and uh, <laughs> You kind of came in. Yeah, and so a big part of that is uh, administrative support. And so I've been at Bryant the last two years, but my first year was spent in Tuscaloosa at a high school. Um, and there was there was some pushback with administration in, in terms of my uh, teaching practices. Um, yeah, I had a, an administrator approach me during my planning period once and ask, you know, are your kids really learning anything in this? Because I was still struggling with classroom management as a first-year teacher, and, and things got crazy, sure, um, and I struggled. And so, you know, I heard that comment. I was like, man, am I doing the wrong thing? Is this even meant for me? And so uh, 
when I left and came to Bryant, the administrative support was huge. And that really led to this environment that allowed me to thrive. And so I think when teachers who are, you know, kind of struggling to implement maybe more of these types of practices, if you have an administrator that's going to support you 100%, I say go all in. And, you know, you're only going to benefit your kids. And if that's what we're in it for, then then I think the payout is going to be worth it. That's a great Absolutely. point. That's a great point. I'm glad it, that the first administrator did not deter you right? and that you kept on going. That's great. I'm curious about the, the your community because you mentioned that one of the reasons that you came back was to, to have that impact on on your school and on your community. So outside of school, what kind of response has there been in in your community for the fact that you're teaching and now this whirlwind year where you've had all these accolades? Yeah, I, I couldn't really tell you. So I live in Mobile, but I, I grew up in Ballabattery, and so I'm really familiar with the area. So my parents are still down there, and they'll tell me all the time about how their parents or their friends um, will uh, see me on TV and, you know, give them a call and be like, hey, did you see your son on TV? Uh, you know, he's doing really good things. And so it's it's being recognized uh, with all the like publicity. Um, but the community response is kind of, you know, I, I couldn't tell you. I, I don't have a read. I do know um, that people are talking. Uh, we, we have people, parents from the feeder pattern schools who have reached out to kind of, um, get me involved in some after-school tutoring programs prior to the high school experience. Um, so, you know, I've done a little bit of that. I've started um, a disc golf and ultimate frisbee through a 21st century grant at the high school. So that's the one disc that's golf cool. course at Bryant within a maybe 15, 20-mile radius uh, for the people down there so they don't have to drive all the way to Mobile to play. Right. Um, so that offers uh, an alternative for them. Um so just a couple of different things, really making a presence uh, in the community by attending sporting events, uh, plays, uh, you know, whatever I can just to show my face. Um, and so the kids feed off of that. The parents get get to know me outside of the classroom a little bit. Uh, and then the rapport in the classroom just kind of comes from that. Well, I'm Absolutely. sure. Yeah, I'm sure you'll see the impact of what you're doing in the years to come because you left and, and even stayed in Tuscaloosa for a year. But you, you came back and you could have taught anywhere in Mobile but you chose to teach and give back to your community right. so that they can see those type of things too and know that there's there's plenty out there, plenty of opportunities, and even the opportunity to come back to your own community absolutely. to give back, not absolutely. just opportunities to leave Right, because it's a beautiful place. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, to that point, uh, you know, there's a lot of students with the mentality in that area specifically. You know, I can do what my parents do. I can, you know, jump into the – welding industry, uh, shipbuilding, seafood industry, and kind of work in that space, especially for uh, the Asian students down there. And being that model that is, uh, you know, a teacher, you can be an academic and be successful Mm -hmm. and kind of work your way out of uh, this town and still come back and and give back to the community. And give back to it. So um, we want to talk to you a little bit about a grant you got. Yeah, so it's not necessarily, well, okay, so So I got a grant. I got a grant. Tell us yes. about it. <laughs> uh, but, okay, so the grant that I was awarded uh, was through the uh, the National Science Foundation, um, the Southeastern Noise Committee uh, of South Alabama. Um, I was a noise scholar when I was a student at Alabama. And so that opportunity presented itself. I wrote a grant for um, getting TI-inspired calculators, which are one of the more powerful ones on the market, uh, for a classroom set in our um, classroom so the kids can kind of see math 
more dynamically and really engage with the data in a way that allows them to kind of see how um, it moves and behaves when we make changes and that kind of stuff. And so um, I was awarded the grant. Uh, I got a classroom set of 30 calculators uh, for my students. Uh, so that was really cool. Um, but I think the one that you're referring to is the program that I'm currently in uh, at Alabama. So they wrote a grant uh, to have these master teacher fellows um, participate in a five-year program. And uh, I was asked to apply and uh, got admitted. And so the program for the first couple of years is a lot of coursework and trying to build up that content knowledge and pedagogical knowledge for the classroom, as well as uh, preparing me for the national board uh, certification test. And then after that, it's really just leadership opportunities within the state to serve at the state uh, math council, national math council, stuff like that. So op- opening up leadership opportunities, right? Right. So leadership opportunities um, at the state and national level, but really starting local. So I think the change, uh, you know, while I can share what I do uh, at the state and national level, it's what can I do for my community uh, here in Mobile County? So what can I do uh, working wise with the elementary school teachers, the middle school teachers, uh, the teachers at Bryant? What are we going to do to put our kids in a position to be successful? So. What, these are some amazing opportunities, and I think wild. you just you, you hit the ground <laughs> running. And like, it's not stopping, uh-uh, this like is the Olympics. Just, this is great. So, I mean, it, you are in the Olympics of teaching. Well, I appreciate and, that. And I mean, it, it, you're getting a gold medal. Thank you. Thank you. But, I mean, it's, it's a testament to the work that the kids have put in. It's a testament to the administration, to my coworkers. It, this doesn't happen without support, and so that's, that's right. definitely where it's at. That's true. Absolutely. Now, I have a question um, as far as being the Sweet 16 part and then what comes next for that. Um, I know Chastity, um, in in the latest episode that was aired, shared a little bit of that. But I think each teacher has their own platform, so to speak, or their own uh, passion, particular passion that they want to share with the state. I mean, is there any of that about the process that you're going to have to go through? And then what, what is it? that you want to share. Right. So leading up to the six sweet 16, I had a, an application that I submitted. Um, and so, uh, from that process, they, they chose the district winners. And now uh, I think the committee is going to choose two secondary teachers and two elementary teachers as a final four. Uh, we'll all participate in interviews. And then from there, they'll select, um, the teacher of the year for the state and then the alternate. Um, and as far as the platform is concerned, You know, it really goes back to um, empowering students. And so this equity thing uh, is really something that I'm pushing for. Um, But a lot of that also is a reflection of uh, pedagogy and so professional development and how teachers are too often uh, isolated. I feel like, uh, you know, they're they're complacent in practice. They're uh, they're rigid in terms of mentality for, for change because they know what they do is good enough for their kids. But it's never just good enough. Mm-hmm. And so the, the platform that I really want to push is how do we get those teachers engaged in meaningful professional development? And a lot of times the critique on professional development has been, you know, I'm not getting anything out of this. I'm not learning anything new. The, the skills or the technology isn't, isn't really worth it. So how do we adapt and change the professional development so that it is meaningful, that it is worth it, and then they can go and implement those practices in the classroom so that their kids are now more empowered to, to learn the content. That's great. And that's um, so that platform, that'll be part of what you'll talk about with them when you get to the, if you 
But we're just going to say, we're just going to call it, right, when he gets to the final when four. When he gets to the final four. When you get to the final four. Well, we don't want to knock on wood, right? We don't want to. Yeah, fingers crossed. Fingers I'm, crossed. I'm hoping, you know, <laughs> but if it doesn't, I'll continue my work uh, elsewhere. And right, so, you right. know, we'll just. We'll well, I, ha- I was fortunate enough to see, um, you know, Dr. Mackey is sharing all of your tweets uh, about how you feel about teaching. And if you want to share a little bit of that about, um, I think you used the word positioning students. And I really liked that. It was just, it was just something that stuck in my in my brain. Yeah, so uh, uh, the State Department asked all of the teachers to kind of share a video of why uh, teaching is important to them. And the message that I shared, uh, similar to what I've been talking about, was, you know, I got into education to give back to my community. And as we continue to think about, or as I thought about my community, it was more than just the school that I serve, the city that I serve, but, you know, the global community at large. And then from there, you know, how do we in our classrooms position our students so that we give them a platform that lends itself uh, for their voices to be heard? Um, You know, a lot of our students, especially the underserved, marginalized, um, our black students, our Latino students, our Asian students, LGBTQ, those with special needs. I mean, these kids have voices that need to be heard. And so, uh, you know, it's really kind of where I feel like my position in math is, is what can I do to get these kids uh, going? I mean, and give them a voice, uh, give them confidence and, and support their growth. David, I have a question for you. And this is probably one that has been asked, I don't know how many times over the years. It could be the students, it could be the parents, it could be the parents remembering when they were students. Why? Why do I need to learn this math? What is the relevancy of it in my world? So as a math teacher and someone who is as passionate as you are, I suspect at some point you get some kind of question like that. And what, what is your thinking about that? Why today do we need to still have uh, the math? Can you tell us a your thoughts on this? Yeah, so kind of backtracking uh, with the history of math, you know, the this core sequence that we see now is, you know, nearly a century, if not older, uh, in terms of the way it's structured with algebra, geometry, and algebra two. And we see a lot of that structure really coming into play to, to serve our economy. And back in the day, we've got this urbanization process where it's it's really structured in, in factories and formal in terms of doing rote types of things. So thinking and thinking critically is not important for you to be successful financially, um, except now in a 21st century economy, you can't afford to not think critically and be able to problem solve uh, to be successful. And so, um, you know, the math that we currently teach, I agree with you, I don't think it is, is worth it. Uh, for our students. So we've got to change the structure of what we're doing. And that really lends itself well to what the state is doing. So the state of Alabama has adopted a new math course of study that's going to be implemented at at some levels across the state in some districts uh, this coming school year and then mandatory by the 2021-22 school year. And the new course of study really emphasizes this focus on data analysis, probability, and statistics. So what we're seeing is um, as we're moving into a more digital age, big data is, you know, huge. Uh, everybody's collecting information on everything. And so how do we now figure out a way to aggregate the data, analyze the data, make sense of it, and, and use that information to make decisions? So the new math course of study really emphasizes how we are going to teach our kids to make sense of uh, data and information and getting them to think more critically in that regard as opposed to the more 
uh, rote uh, memorization of facts and formulas and really looking more at relationships and, and how we can use uh, information to make informed decisions. This just ties in so well, I think, with the whole STEM initiative because math is the, the M in STEM, so it's right there because we're talking about, you know, you're talking about the, how long we've been teaching math this way it goes all the way back to the Industrial Revolution, right, with the, the beginning of, uh, of schooling anyway, mandatory schooling. So what we're trying to do in other fields as well besides mathematics is – look in at these 21st century skills like you kind of you touched on this idea that we're competing globally the world is changing we need critical thinkers we need those who can communicate well and that does not exclude mathematics mathematics is a big part of that mathematics is more or less the gatekeeper in terms of access to those types of things. Mm. If we see, um, you know, information about uh, admissions into into colleges and institutions, uh, math scores are more often than not the kind of the low mark for students. And so a lot of kids take remedial uh, math classes in college. And that, you know, when we talk about tracking, really sets them on a track that might push or prolong their uh, academic career or you know, steer them completely away from a STEM-oriented career because they perceive themselves as not being able uh, to do the mathematics. And so not only does the math have to change at the K-12 level, but we've got to think about what we're doing um, at uh, the undergraduate level in terms of positioning our students to, you know, serve in these types of economies also. And so I think, you know, slowly but surely we're reevaluating our position um, in that space, but math is critical in terms of getting the kids to talk to each other, uh, to work collaboratively, um, uh, non-procedurally, um, and really just emphasizing the fact that this, this is why math is important now. I'm not really teaching you the, the rote skills. I'm trying to teach you the processes uh, that make you a good uh, mathematician, a good problem solver, a good critical thinker. A good thinker. And that really sounds like, you know, for our podcast, we kind of get the background information and talk about what's going on right now and then look to the future, you know, and what, what is next in Ed. And you kind of laid a foundation for the direction you'd like to see things go. So you, you're asking these questions of how can you do that? What do you see as being the most effective way of you being able to do that? What do you see coming down the line? You know, with the pandemic, it's hard to kind of predict. And so, you know, we don't know what the classroom is going to look like. You know, for us as educators, the, the relationships that we build with our students is, is huge in terms of what we can do. Um, but if everything is kind of remote, those relationships are going to be harder to build. Um, but, you know, assuming things are, are normal and we're in the classroom and I've got a set of 24 to 30 kids, you know, for me, it's how can I put you in, in a place that allows you to collaborate with people that you may have never worked with before? How can I give you the technology that, you know, gives you a 21st century education? How can I force you to think critically to get you to communicate uh, collaboratively uh, with meaningful discourse? So it's, it's really those, those skills that are not what traditional math is perceived to be. Uh, I think a lot of times people think about rote procedure and memorizing facts. Can you do these formulas? Can you do this or that? But we have the technology that can do that. And so how do we position our kids to think more critically about, okay, I got this answer, but what does it mean? How do we 
use the context of our situation to make sense of our solution? And does that solution even work? And if not, how can we revise that plan and continue to move forward? So really just, you know, giving the kids the opportunity. And that's that's what's been lacking prior to uh, this moment is the kids have not been given opportunities. And so what can we do to give them the opportunities to, to show off what they've got? I've, I've wondered that a lot myself just because technology has reached a point where there's not much need for us to carry around a lot of information in our head necessarily like a lot of the formulas that generations before had to memorize when they were doing the math, even, you know, for myself as well, because we do have the technology that can do that. So we can offload some of that onto the technology so that we can focus on bigger picture kinds of things. And I like equity and access. Yeah, you know, I think absolutely. that's so important, and I don't know that that's always connected with a math class. Right, and that's that's kind of the the thing that we got to get behind. And to your point, Joe, I mean, with the, the technology, I mean, there's something to be said for learning the procedures so that the students understand the process that the, the coding is, is going through in order to give you the numbers that you see on your calculators. But once the kids are fluent enough in understanding, you know, how this works and why it works, use the technology – to be more efficient and then let's plan and think about how we can use these strategies in, in a more productive way. And so, um, you know, and I think that hits on the equity lens is that some kids maybe take, takes a lot more time to go through the procedures because they're more meticulous or, uh, you know, whatever the case may be. But now we give them the technology they can kind of double check their work. And now they're thinking about, uh, you know, other things that may be more relevant to the context uh, of the problem. And so I think that's kind of where the equity and access pieces start coming into play. That's great. So thinking about uh, your future is a little uncertain at this moment, because if you were to get the teacher of the year for the state, that would, that would set a certain trajectory for you for the, for the following year in terms of the kinds of things that you would be expected to do. But I see regardless I mean, you're, you're on such a great path and you have such passion that you're going to do great things. You, you're not going to need that accolade of teacher of the year for the state to be able to do the kinds of things that you're wanting to do. You're already, you're already on your way. You're already doing them to some extent and that's just going to continue to grow. I'm sure you're going to accomplish everything you set out to do regardless of of who or what accolade you get. And when, because there's more out there too. (laughs) Right. And well, I mean. And it's a great way for advocacy. We've talked about that before here is that when you, when you get Alabama teacher of the year or even the sweet 16 or whatever, it's a great platform to be heard. Right. Yeah. And that platform is, is the huge part because the things that I seek to do and, and some of the colleagues that I have in different places across the state, there's a level of credibility that is attained when you receive these types of things that people don't start to question what you're doing. They're, they're more curious about how are you doing it and why are you doing it and how can I do that same kind of thing? Right. And so, you know, I think it gives me a platform to really share this, this kind of message uh, with other educators who are curious about improving practice and, and really meeting the needs um, of our kids and then really embracing who they are individually, their cultures, um, and, and bringing that to the forefront of the classroom so that they can uh, feel like they've got a, a place in this world. Very important. 
Right. Very important. Well, we appreciate your passion and your your early leadership because I, I think there's just some amazing things in store for David Dye. Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much for taking time yeah, today. Thank you, Joe. To, thank you, Julie. Oh, I really love it. We enjoyed it. Yeah, we yeah, enjoyed you. having you so much. And we hope that you'll consider coming back. I would uh, love to. Yeah. Yeah. Share time. your experiences regardless of what happens. And yeah, absolutely. And then as you continue on with uh, your amazing journey, we just want to check in from time to time and and uh, see how things are going for you. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you again. Stay in touch. Absolutely. So. For those of you listening, uh, please be sure to join us next time as Julie and I continue to explore what's what's next next in Ed. Don't forget to subscribe. If you like what you heard, please rate and review this podcast so others can find us. The Next in Ed podcast is brought to you by the Mobile County Public Schools IT Department in partnership with the Department of Counseling and Instructional Sciences at the University of South Alabama. Engineered by... Tim VP Media Production. Music by Justin Matthews. Hosted by Dr. Joe Gaston and Julie Neidhart. Follow us on Twitter at NextInEd and on Facebook. Guests on the podcast are expressing personal opinions for informational purposes only. They are not necessarily acting as official representatives for their schools, universities, organizations, or places of employment. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved.